It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Howard, happy Friday. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Hey, doing uh, doing terrifically well. Jazz back home uh, tonight after a, a, a long road trip. Uh, have an interesting game against Atlanta. But let's, of course, start out with the big news of the week in the NBA. Give us your thoughts on James Harden moving out there closer to you to Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, just down the road from me. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> this is the deal that everybody thought was out there that might happen eventually. And, of course, things sped up after Harden uh, – had a, uh, I would say, an unfortunate press conference the other night after they got crushed by the Lakers. That seemed to speed things up. And, look, he landed where he wanted to be. So now the questions are, does James Harden, um, does, is he ready to make a different kind of, of, of uh, you know, change to his game? Is he ready to evolve? Is he ready to sacrifice? Things that I think we talked about on your show within the last couple of weeks, and I wrote about it, which was, you know, that, He's 31. He hasn't gotten where he wants to go in terms of postseason, hasn't been to a finals, hasn't won a championship. And he's joining two other superstars who both operate best with the ball in their hands. And so those three guys are going to have to figure it out. Steve Nash's coach is going to have to figure it out. But I think it's, it's, it's generally up to the players. You know, ultimately, they decide, you know, you, you know the coach can set the, the table and, and provide the system and the framework. The players decide how this works and whether it works, frankly. And so those three are going to have to figure it out. And I'm very curious to see how Harden in particular adapts and how Kyrie adapts. You know, Durant has sacrificed before. Durant went to a super team in in Golden State and figured out how to mesh his talents with that team. Um, We haven't seen Harden have to do that yet. But this is what he wanted. He wanted to play in Brooklyn. He wanted to be with those guys. And so now we'll see. And, you know, there's there's really – no ambiguity about the goal, you know, whether it's the players, or the organization, you, you make an all in move like this, you're, you're looking for a championship and immediately. And I think there are some, you know, pretty glaring concerns about whether or not they can do that immediately. They've got some, some issues I think with the roster, but, um, but we'll see, you know, that's, you know, that, that's the expectation now. And anything short of that is, is going to, to look like a failure. And they gave up quite a bit in terms of their future to make this deal. Howard, in terms of uh, James Harden and uh, wanting to win a championship, is he motivated enough in that regard to to evolve like you just described? Is he because what happened in Houston? They came close that one year. If they'd beaten the Warriors, they probably would have won it all. Jake doesn't believe that, but he, he and I go back and forth on it. But he has to evolve in order to allow others who are great players to do what they can do, too, because he, he's already proven he can't do it kind of himself. And it's not like he hasn't had high-level help. There have been stars in this league who have been stranded on teams. Anthony Davis comes to mind before he was traded to the Lakers, and one of the reasons he wanted to be traded to the Lakers. He never had high-level help. James Harden had Dwight Howard still in his prime. It didn't work. Dwight Howard left. He got... Chris Paul at his request. And they went two seasons before Chris Paul wanted out. He got Westbrook at his request. It lasted one season. So James Harden's not 
uh, absolved of blame in any of this. You know, you, we, we can talk about their roster. We can talk about their strategy. We can talk about Chris Paul's hamstring injury against the Warriors in the conference finals. But the bottom line is they haven't gotten it done. And when you're the franchise star, when you're one of the greatest players in the league, when you're an MVP and a perennial MVP candidate, it's, you bear a, a bigger amount of the responsibility. And especially if you've gone through three different all-star teammates and it didn't work. It, again, he was not stranded on some uh, you know, substandard team. So, you know, does, does he realize that? Does, does he, is he aware of all that? Does he have the self-awareness? I don't know. Um, no, I mean, you know, Harden said all the right things, but, you know, it's what you do on the court that matters. Um, listen, my expectation would be that given that this trade was at his request and that this is the destination he wanted, and there was no guarantee he was going to get here. He could have landed in Philly. He could have landed in a bunch of different places. But he got where he wanted to go. And if you, if you woke up one day and said, I want out, and by the way, I want to go to Brooklyn in particular to play with two of their uh, very ball-dominant stars – I think it should be baked into the decision that you've made that you're already deciding I'm willing to give up something in terms of individual stats and individual glory to play with those two guys. Because to to think of it any other way would actually be kind of insane, right? Like, this is where you want to go. These are who they – this is who they have. This is who you'd be playing with. Um, So I have to assume on some level he he has decided he's willing to make some concessions. And I think he probably will. Um, I, I think they have other concerns, though. You know, they traded in this deal, you know, three key rotation guys, um, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince. And Jared Allen is a, a really great rim protector and a, 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 was probably their best defensive player overall. And so he's gone now. And they don't have, you know, they've got an aging DeAndre Jordan and nobody else's size, so you don't really have the same rim protection. Their perimeter D is, is a little suspect. Kyrie Irving and James Harden both have been – subpar defenders throughout their careers. Durant was elite at that level at one point, but I don't know if you can count on him to be that way every night post-Achilles. And so, you know, they've, they've got some roster holes. Their defense was our suspect even before the deal. So, you know, it, they're, the first step, I think, is those three guys integrating with each other. Because if they're, if they're in sync with each other, that offense is unstoppable, unguardable. But... Um, the next concern after that is going to have to be their depth and their defense. Howard Beck is with us uh, from Sports Illustrated. And, Howard, last Friday when we talked to you, uh, the Jazz were playing the Bucks that night. They had come off a couple of rough nights there in the Big Apple uh, with the Nets and the Knicks. And then all of a sudden they absolutely throttle the Bucks and now have won three consecutive games and people are feeling a little bit different. And Gordon and I have gone back and forth a, a lot talking about whether the glass is half full or the glass is half empty, empty. And if you look at the standings, you know, it seems like it's that way for a lot of teams. I mean, you know, even sometimes when it feels like the Jazz haven't played all that well, they're, they're only two games back of the Lakers in the West is is it a little wonky for everybody uh have you taken can you um is is the league a little bit weird because of the unique circumstances I think there's no question I think that there's there's absolutely no question that that uh even even in as much as in in a normal year I would say the early weeks are, are something that you don't try to draw too too hasty of a conclusion from it's even more so the case now that you know, some teams are coming back on very little rest, very little turnaround, although the Lakers don't seem to be any worse for it. They seem to be <laughs> doing just fine with the short turnaround. But they had the short turnaround, and the Heat had the short turnaround. 
is that is, is the short turnaround the reason that Denver is is kind of sluggish right now? I don't know. And then you've got the eight teams that have been off since March. You know, the eight teams that didn't go to the bubble. And so everybody's on a little bit different clock and a little bit different challenges. And then on on top of all that, you know, short training camp, uh, you know, truncated preseason, and now we've got games being postponed left and right, and guys being put in in quarantine for because of contact tracing, and. It's just everything feels very choppy right now. And so I my guess would be that every organization is, is looking at this saying, you know, like if you're if you're the, the Denver Nuggets and, you know, for a while there you were down, you know, down with the Timberwolves in the standings. As we talk now, they are tied for seventh with the Warriors. They're six and six. So they're behind schedule. They're behind where they should be in terms of winning percentage. But, like, the Nuggets are fine, and they're probably telling themselves, we'll get there. Like, they're not going to worry. Um, and I think all the teams are probably having those conversations internally that, you know, there's just going to be – it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be strange. Um, you're going to wake up one day and find out that four of your guys just got thrown into protocol because of, of contact tracing, and now you got to, you know, play with eight players or you're going to have a game postponed. Like, it's – this is just the reality of this season. And you just hope that by the time we get to the playoffs, that things have kind of leveled out a little. So Howard, I've heard of uh, teams being able to make deals with each other because of personal relationships between uh, say general managers and whatnot, and sometimes owners and things like that. But I, I've never really seen anything quite like uh, the report that came out that Tillman Fertitta did not want to trade James Harden to the Sixers because Daryl Morey was there. Uh, first of all, do you believe that report, and what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I, you know, you guys know me. I don't want to comment on anybody else's reporting. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, Fertitta has, you know, uh, kind of cultivated a personality or, or certainly projected a personality of being someone who's a little bit of a hothead and that he might feel – you know, whether he's felt burned by Daryl Morey asking out of his contract and then immediately turning around seven days later and signing with the Sixers, or whether it's just he doesn't like the idea of Harden rejoining Daryl Morey. You know, one of the things that, that Harden said today in his, his press conference was that his trade request followed not just them having a disappointing playoff run, but once he realized D'Antoni was leaving, Daryl Morey was leaving, that he just kind of saw things kind of, you know, uh, fraying there. And so I think on some level, depending on how much he he uh, conveyed that to the team, Fertitta may be feeling like, you know, not just burned that Daryl left, but that like, oh, you're, you're, you only want to be here if Daryl Morey was here? You only want to be here if Mike D'Antoni? And these are the guys that you let walk away. And then D'Antoni left in part because Fertitta didn't extend him when he should have, you know, two summers ago. So, um, you know, maybe there's resentment there. Maybe that's enough for Fertitta not to trade him to, to the Sixers. But, you know, I'll say this, and it may be stating the obvious. I, trading a guy somewhere or not trading him somewhere based on anything other than where you can get the best return package is foolish. The idea of, you know, oh, we got to trade him out of the conference or we don't want to turn him to a division rival. Or, we don't want to do this. We don't. Like, teams need to do what's best for themselves, period. And, and not have it be about anything as petty or emotional or trivial as not wanting to reunite a player with a GM. You know, you, you get the best package you can. Now, if they truly thought that what they got from the Nets was the best possible return or the kind of return they wanted, great. 
but I would question whether that's really the case. You know, uh, if you could get a Ben Simmons, you can get a top 15 player who's still early in his prime. To me, that's the deal you make every time because draft picks, you know, draft picks are, are not a guarantee of anything, especially when they might well be very low picks. Now, by the time this, you know, deal is done paying off, the Nets might be back in the cellar and maybe they're great picks, but um, that's way down the line. So uh, I would hope that's not the reason that they chose the Nets deal over the Sixers deal. Howard Beck is with us uh, from Sports Illustrated, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Last thing for me, Howard, there's been some reporting today on general managers batting about the idea of adding a third uh, two-way contract or uh, player eligible for the two-way contract. Do you think that's a good idea? And further, why not add more? <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, I guess maybe because it costs money. Um, I, you know, to me it's kind of a no-brainer. I, like, obviously, the bigger the player pool – the more flexibility you have to deal with situations where multiple players are going into contact tracing and you can avoid maybe some postponements and you know, like that as much as you don't want to have to rely on players out of the G league or just the free agent pool of guys who, you know, when the season started, you thought weren't good enough to be in the league that you don't want to be plugging those guys in and playing them big minutes just to salvage the schedule. On the other hand, you don't want the schedule completely trashed and, I'm certain the league is not comfortable with all these postponements. Now, they did break the season into two halves of 36 games each without plotting out the second half of the season because they knew they would probably have postponements and because they knew they would have to make adjustments as they went. And so they've given themselves that flexibility. But, you know, there's a limit to all of this, to how many games you can reschedule. And it is disruptive and it is difficult to, to deal with. And having more players available overall would hopefully uh, allow you to avoid some of these postponements. Howard, forgive me if I've asked you this question before, but do you think the NBA will expand in order to offset some of the losses? It's a complicated equation. And, you know, you, you expand and if you charge, you know, the the new owners coming in, expansionize fees that are up over like a billion each, given that, that franchises are now selling for a billion plus and sometimes two billion. Like you could certainly put a lot of money in your pocket. Um, you know, the 30 existing owners could put a lot of money in their pockets uh, by expanding by two teams and charging massive expansion fees. That's true. But you've now divided the national TV contract 32 ways instead of 30. So you're, you're going to lose at the other end. And I don't think you expand just to, like, buy your way out of, you know, uh, of the current losses. I don't like that. That doesn't sound like like sound business practice to me anyway. Um, I would also question, frankly, and I, plenty of people disagree with me on this, but I think expansion is, is crazy in general. Like, I want a team back in Seattle as much as anybody. I miss Seattle. I love Seattle. I'd love to go see them back in Vancouver, too but they should just move underperforming franchises. And I'm not a big advocate of franchises being moved either in general, but um, expanding, I think, is, is crazy. They, they're, they, as, as much as this is now a global game and you've got you know, international players make up a fourth of the league, there's not enough top-end talent. Elite talent is what drives the league. Elite talent is what sells tickets. Elite talent is what gets a fan base, especially in a new market, to really be motivated and engaged. And there are still only a handful of those guys. And so... Is there enough, like, just baseline talent for 30 more roster spots? 
Yeah, sure, I guess. But I don't want to watch a game played by those 30 guys. <laughs> so, you know, that, that that's a problem. I, I think they'll be diluting the talent pool too much, frankly. To follow up on that real quick, I wonder how hungry the NBA is, for instance, to stake, uh, to drive a stake into say, the ground at Mexico City or somewhere where they think they can make a bunch of money. Well, I mean, they've certainly kicked that around. And, and you know, Mexico City, Las Vegas, um, you know, I think Seattle gets the first team if there is expansion or if there is a, a relocation. You know, it's Seattle first. Um, Mexico City, they've you know they've they've played the exhibition games there. They've flirted with that, but like that one, I think it'd be tough. If, I mean, if you guys remember when Toronto and Vancouver first came in, um, American-born players didn't want to go there because they thought, "Well, Canada, I don't want to live in a foreign country," <laughs> <laughs> which like, it seems just ludicrous now. It seemed ludicrous then too, but I think you know you know the guys have, have this generation of players is, is does not view it that way. But Mexico, I mean, it's. First of all, Mexico City, I think, is a little further away from most guys' homes than Vancouver and Toronto, uh, just based on the geography of the continent. Um, and there's a language barrier all of a sudden. You know, Canada speaks English. <laughs> um, Mexico speaks Spanish. And I, so I think for players, you know, if, if we thought it was ludicrous that players were, were, you know, uncomfortable with going to Canada 30 years ago, then imagine when there's now a language barrier being introduced and different currency and just a, a culture shock. I, I don't know how players would feel about that. So, um, but that's definitely a city that, that the NBA's had interest in, you know, whether it's exhibition, you know, neutral site games and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I, I still believe expansion's a ways off. Howard, thank you as always. You're uh, uh, always a highlight of our week. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, fellas. Talk to you next week. Back at you. Thanks, Howard. Howard Beck, our friend from Sports Illustrated. Um, it, that argument always comes up with expansion, right? You know, does is there enough talent? Do you want to dilute uh-huh. the talent? And I, I get what what Howard's saying about, you know, you add another 30 ro- roster spots, and those are 30 players that are currently in the G League or playing overseas. But I, I would look at it as, is there enough top to middle tier talent to go around, right? You know, can, are there enough, you know, stars, all stars and superstars to add two more teams? That's the question I'd be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the answer, uh, but I just had an idea. I just got a bit of inspiration. Pregnant pause. Jake, if, if they ever wanted to expand to say Mexico city, would the league or would, would other owners sign off on allowing that franchise to pay its players more than teams in the U.S. just to add a little drawing power for players wanting to go there? And if that were ever a possibility, then how about this? How about allowing, uh, if they can, smaller market teams to pay more than anyone else. And I know they've sort of messed with that a little bit with, uh, you know, teams trying to hold on to their own players and they can pay them more. But uh, what do you, what do you think of that? Would that even ever work? No, 
is the short answer. I I think it's an interesting thought, but I don't I don't think it would ever happen because of some of the complications you just laid out right there. And can you imagine like a like a big market team like LA that actually generates more money than a small market team like the Jazz, but you're preventing them from spending that, although you let a smaller market team do that. I I just don't think that they could ever cross that bridge. I think it's an interesting thought, but I don't think it ever happened. Plus, there are so many other things that complicate the Mexico City idea. I like it, and I see where their head's at, but like Howard brought up the language barrier. I mean, that's that's a challenge that you can't overcome by, I, I guess that's where your pay them more idea comes in, but I just don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they'll do it, but I thought it might be hmm. a way of making some accommodation for a team being somewhere else that uh, might not be as attractive and might might be difficult for them to draw in, say, a free agent. Uh, but it, it, I don't know. Well, it beats me. Uh, all isn't I know that a is little, that, isn't isn't that Mexico, a little... Isn't Mexico City, like, almost twice as big as New York? I mean, it's just it's a huge city. It, isn't that yes. a little condescending, too, to be like, well, your place isn't very nice, so... <laughs> You, no, you don't have to say it that way. It's just that it's different. All I know is I'm not allowed to produce radio broadcasts originating out of Mexico City anymore. Yeah, no, that <laughs> didn't go well the first time. All right, stay tuned. More next, live at the warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.